Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. If you're listening to this, this is also a video episode as well. I'm going to start to do more of those. Today, we have Ashley Van Houten with us, one of my favorite ladies in this space. She also is the editor of my book, Confident as Fuck, and an incredible writer and an author of a new book that I'm really excited about called It Takes Guts, A Meat Eater's Guide to Eating Awful, awful spelled O-F-F-A-L, which means the internal organs of animals. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an organ meat cookbook. We're going to talk all about how she got into that. She is also the host of an amazing podcast, The Muscle Maven Radio, or just Muscle Maven Radio. Check it out. And she's an incredible fitness and you know health expert and sort of consultant in our space. And I mean, she, she literally helped me figure out how to get my book finished and figured out and all the stuff that had to do with it. So I'm a huge fan, always have been. Welcome back to the show, Ashley. Thank you so much. Always super excited to be chatting with you. And on this podcast, it's still like I pinch myself that I get to do this. So I'm pumped. When, you, when you've written articles about Mark Sisson, so you know we've known you for I so am. long, probably like the past eight years, you've been in this space a really long time. You were like one of the first other than me, other than women that were coming in here. Um, but for people that don't know you and haven't heard maybe a previous podcast, let's talk a little bit about because you, I mean, some of the photos that you have of you when you were like a bodybuilder, sort of bikini bodybuilder competitor, I look at that and I'm like, who, who is that woman? So <laughs> tell us, like, how'd you get into fitness? What age? And then what rolled you into the competition? And we'll go from there. Okay. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. You know, I'm a talker, so I can go forever. So you just, you just, you know, speed me up if needed. Um, but basically I kind of just always loved muscles. I've always been interested in fitness and sort of the human body and what it's capable of. So as a young kid, you know, I had older brothers, so I was watching like wrestling and American gladiator. And I just kind of always appreciated shows of strength. Um, and as I kind of was getting older and growing up, like I wasn't super athletic or I didn't consider myself to be because I think we skew athleticism so strongly to like team sports and ball sports and stuff. And I, you know, I play a little soccer, volleyball, but I wasn't like a team sport person. So I'm like, eh, I'm just not an athlete. I like to watch it. Um, and then, you know, I went through university and I got into CrossFit like everybody did when CrossFit was kind of big and sort of the, you know, 2007-8 range. And I realized that it, I really loved it. I really loved being strong. I really loved having muscles. I liked working hard. And I, I liked the empowerment that came along with being able to just be physically competent, like being able to do pull-ups and deadlifts and be strong. I was just really, really um, enamored by that. And uh, as this was happening, this was just like fun stuff that I did while I was working. Um, and I, I had a background in marketing communications and I was doing corporate work and like putting on the power suit and going to work every day kind of deal. Um, but I also have always loved to write. And so on the side, I was kind of like writing for the CrossFit games or writing for paleo magazine or kind of just doing some of this stuff that was allowing me to, 
use my skills in an area that I was passionate about, right? Because a lot of people um, don't get to necessarily apply their skills to their passion in their job. They're just kind of doing something that pays the bills, which is what I was doing for a while. Um, And so it just kind of was like a natural progression from kind of CrossFit moved into maybe more like powerlifting. And I competed a little bit of powerlifting, really enjoyed that. Um, And then I moved from there into bodybuilding, literally just because it was one of those things. I think I feel like a lot of people have this story where people are like, Hey, like you kind of have some muscles. Why don't you try a bodybuilding competition? That'd be fun. And I was just sort of like, all right, like, why not? It's like a fun kind of experience and it'll teach me something about myself. And I think like you, like a lot of us in this industry, we like to experiment and learn and use ourselves as kind of the guinea pig. And so I was like, all right, well, like, let's see if I actually could do this and like, see what happens and see how it feels. And so I did some bodybuilding competitions, got to say, figure, not bikini. We're very particular about our categories. Um, (laughs) What's the difference, by the way, between figure and bikini? Yeah. So there's, I mean, and they're changing all the time. I can't really always keep up with it, but there's sort of bikini, figure, fitness, physique, and bodybuilding. And they sort of go up in terms of their muscularity, in terms of what's kind of expected from an aesthetic standpoint, bikini. And again, I, you know, everybody goes into the place where they feel the most comfortable. Bikini is a little bit more of the sort of beauty pageant kind of feel. They all are, but bikini is a little bit more like, are you slim and kind of have the very feminine, but it's sort of flirty on stage, whatever. Figure tends to be, I describe it as a little bit more like a crossfitter that dieted down a bit. So it's like still very like athletic. Um, There's really like, it's like broad shoulders and nice muscles, but not overly big or lean necessarily. And then it kind of goes up from there. But anyway, I was into figure because I didn't really like the, the bikini kind of presentation. And also I just have super wide shoulders. So that's where I ended up. Um, but yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the process, uh, the bodybuilding process. I liked having abs for a couple of weeks, but mostly I really liked kind of just the experimentation of it, just the experience. And as like a writer and a journalist, I was able to like, kind of like embed myself in these like interesting, weird subcultures and like learn what it's really like and write about it and communicate about it. So it was super fun for me. I still consider myself a bodybuilder. I I stopped, I, you know, I did pretty well. I did a couple competitions. I didn't really have the, um, the desire to kind of make it like a professional career. I think that's, you know, we could go down a whole rabbit hole there, but I still consider myself a bodybuilder. I love to work out and lift weights. Um, and sort of as that was, again, as that was progressing, I was, thinking more about the food that I was eating and the quality of the food that I was eating. Um, And I was caring more, you know, as you get older, it's less about what can I get away with and what fits my macros and more like what is nourishing me and what is helping me. Um, And I've always been into paleo, you know, that's how you and I met and and how we connected. I, I feel like that's a really reasonable starting point for most people. Um, yeah. And so, and, and it's just kind of evolved personally for me from there into, um, what the best version of sort of that ancestral paleo diet is for me. And that led into, um, real nose to tail eating and exploring that and exploring sort of the, uh, undervalued cuts of, of the animal and how we could make that a bigger part of the conversation um, within this sort of big conversation that people are having right now around sustainability and morality of it and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we can get into kind of more about the book later, but that's sort of how it all kind of came to be where I am right now. Tell us about uh, being a writer because it's, you know, it's not just this book. You've, you've been a writer for many, many years. You're just a writer who finally wrote a book. So tell us about that. I mean, as a, as a, well, 
any pitfalls to being a woman writer you noticed over time, you know, things like that. I mean, I, I certainly have had many moments and I've talked about on podcasts, for example, in the entertainment industry, being a comedy writer or, or any of that kind of stuff. If you have a male writing partner, it doesn't even matter if they wrote one period in the whole entire thing. The, the, the Their name goes first. No, I'm going right. The, 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 like literally the, the people in the meeting, male or female will defer to the guy. And, you know, so, so like, there's been some things I've come across a little bit there, but I'm just curious, like, what's your experience been like? You've been doing it a long time. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely echo uh, your statements there, but I think one of the things that I've noticed the most, there's two kind of the two big challenges that I've noticed being a freelance writer. Um, and also I've worked, like I've worked in publishing and magazines and been like an on staff kind of editor and stuff too. So I have that side of it, but there's two things like in this increasingly sort of online content driven world, it is tough to make a living writing because there's always someone willing to do it cheaper, not necessarily better, but in the world where we just want content, 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 and people care less about the quality. They care less about grammar and editing and like, you know, research and, and all that kind of stuff. Like there's always somebody willing to do it cheaper. So it is tough. You really do have to work at it and be consistent and be good and find your niche and make relationships and all those things to kind of make it work. Um, so that's a big part. But the other thing that I've noticed, and this is why part of my like many kind of hats that I wear in this industry is being somewhat of like a, a fitness and wellness consultant, like a consultant to fitness and wellness brands, because I'm noticing, and I'm sure you can relate to this, that there just is a lack of um, inclusiveness in a lot of these conversations, um, both like culturally, but also, you know, not enough female voices in this world. And so coming from the real meathead bodybuilding world, you know, the podcast that I listen to, the articles that I'm reading, that everything that I'm consuming is men talking to men about men stuff. So it's like the studies all have to do with men and the, you know, like I'm reading articles about like ideal leanness. And it's like, if you're, if you're not sub 15%, like you're a fat asshole. Sorry, I, I can't swear. Um, <laughs> but you know, and I'm like, you realize that there are women reading this too, and that we have a whole different set of, of, you know, it's different for us. Right. Because 15% body fat, just for that one example, like 15% body fat for a woman. I mean, oof, you're, you're edging down. Crazy. Right? Yeah. It's a crazy. Like at my best, I might've been 16, 17, which is kind of ideal. But I mean, if you get below uh, 16, 15, you're edging towards trouble unless you're doing it real temporarily. So, so yeah, I can see how you're reading that article and you're like, what the F man, this does not apply to us. Yes. And even like consulting for people who are doing like helping people with their podcasts or helping people with their website or their um, newsletters and things like that. It's literally just the concept. And I'm not trying to shit on anyone in particular, but it's just that people who tend to be at the top of the food chain just don't even, it's not a malicious thing. It's like they don't even think about the other voices and experiences because they've never had to. Whereas women, people of color, people with different abilities, all that kind of stuff, we're constantly primed to think about a situation from different points of view. So yes. just being in a place where I'm like, hey, do you want to hear what a woman thinks about that? Or like, hey, do you want to think about maybe what these people over here have to say? Like just trying to do that more frequently um, is really has really been a goal. And I, f I feel like it's rewarding because for every 
instance that we have, like you described, that's like frustrating and irritating. It is great to hear people say like, oh, it's so good to just have like a woman's voice or to have the inclusion of somebody else in the conversation. It's not just a bunch of muscle bound dudes all the time. You know, it's not because again, I've, I've said this before, but the more perspectives in any conversation, it's always better. Even if you disagree with 90% of them, just having different opinions and voices is always going to make things better. So. Yeah. I remember some, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of people who have wanted to do like some kind of documentary on health or paleo or whatever. And, you know, so they'll reach out of course, cause they, you know, they want more to be a part of it or whatever. So one of the, one of these people had reached out and I looked at their roster of like who was in the film and I wrote the back and I go, Hey man, are you going to have any chicks in this movie? <laughs> they just did like they, they were like, oh no, we're and it was like, well, we're gonna throw in one of them. Now it's getting it's getting better than when you and I started, but when you and I started, like they're really it was like us and like Morgan yep. Gaudes and Terry Walsh. Like, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. no, no, it's really great. And um yeah, you've been doing it a long time. Honestly, I there is no one that I trusted more with my book than you. Um, but let's talk about, let's start to get into when did you start to experiment with little organ meat? Like, I think everyone's, if you like pate and stuff, everyone's dabbled in a little liver, you know, yeah. every now and then, but that's like kind of a little marrow bone, but that's like as far as a lot of people are willing to go. So yeah. what made you start to go when you're starting the nail, nose to tail approach, what made you want to branch out and be like, I wonder what brains taste like. <laughs> I love that. I need to like put that quote on social media somewhere. I wonder what brains taste like. Cause I actually have thought that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think so looking back, like a lot of times people will tell me like, Oh, I'm interested in organ meats, but I didn't grow up eating that way. So I never could. And I'm like, I didn't either. Like I grew up in Canada to American parents, like very sort of, I ate what people in the eighties and nineties ate growing up. So I ate like bread and skim milk and pork chops and whatever, you know, average sort of Canadian American meal was. I didn't grow up eating particularly exotic or nose to tail or anything like that. Um, but I did feel like, it's funny how we have, we talk so much in, in like the wellness world about like maybe trying to be like intuitive and instinctive about, and like listening to your body and, and honoring what it wants. And when I look back, I always gravitated towards meat and towards like, like, for example, dark meat instead of light meat or like the kind of more like fishy, oily fish rather than like a white fish. Like I always gravitated, yes, towards those like really what, what turns out to be the more nutrient dense kind of things. Right. Um, and when I, you know, graduated university and I was traveling and I was living in different countries and I was in New York and being exposed to so many different types of cuisines and different cultural foods and things like that. I just always wanted to try new things. And so that often meant different animals, different parts of the animal, different, all kinds of different things. And I just like, I never had that approach that I think so many people have. And I know, cause my friends are telling me this all the time as I write this book where they're like scared of something different. They're like, Oh, that's different. Ew, gross. Ew, I don't want to do it. You know, I always like, Ooh, that's different. Like give me a bite of that. Let me try it. You know? And it didn't mean that I always loved it, but I just was willing to give it a shot. And as I was doing that, I was starting to realize like, I'm not just doing this for the fun of it and to like, you know, gross out my friends. Like I enjoy this food. I really enjoy it. I feel nourished by it. I like it. Um, and that was, you know, years ago, that's probably like a decade in the making now, but it was really only sort of in the last couple of years as I'm trying to honestly find my niche and my space in this 
industry and like grow my career and my work. And I'm thinking, how can I add value? Like, what can I do in this world that, you know, can be seen as very oversaturated? And like, do you need another girl that's just like, I like paleo. I don't know. Like, I'm not an, I'm not, I'm kind of good at everything. I'm not really great at anything. Like I don't have a, I don't have a niche. And so I'm thinking, okay, what's something that's unique to me that I feel passionately about? And it was, it was organ meats. That's really what it was. And, um, you know, I have no to like, done it. no one's really done it. I mean, there might be some, but it's not, not, not really any time recently. Has anyone done what, what you've done with this book? Yeah. And, and the people who have, like, I did some research of like, you know, what organ meat cookbooks are out there. There's, you know, and even if you look at like the Amazon rankings right now, like anything that's sort of like in my wheelhouse is like hunters, like barbecue guys, like big dudes wearing camo or like, or, you know, um, French trained chefs. Right. And I'm just like, I just feel like, again, it's like, we're talking about the sort of inclusiveness. It's like, I'm a pretty normal person who knows what that means, but it's sort of one of those things where it's like, I didn't grow up doing this. I'm not professionally trained. I'm just a person who's interested in being healthy and making the least harmful impact on the world by the way that I eat. And I want to encourage people to try new things and this is the way to do it. So I feel like I am kind of leading edge just in the fact that I'm a different, and I hope to reach a different kind of group of people with this book anyway. Tell us, um, like, well, for example, you know, when I, uh, I love marrow bones, um, but when I first cooked them, that I remember, I'm sure I've had it in other things, but when I first like tried it, the first batch was terrible, actually. It was really bad. And I was like, ooh, I don't think I like this. And then someone was like, no, 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 try, try it again. And I did. And then like, I love it. You know what I mean? And again, so you just, it's, it does take experimenting. And I think yeah. I would, it should have had your cookbook then. Cause I think I effed up on the, on the first try. Um, tell us out of the, all the things that you've cooked in mind, you have like a stuffed beef heart and so many amazing things over, I've been watching you since you were kind of, you know, in this gearing up for this book, doing it, you know, all of your stories on Instagram and watching all the different things you're eating of all the things. Cause you've eaten all the what we consider to be like the grossest stuff in the world, brains, intestines, you know, all the hearts and livers. What was one that you're like, Ooh, I don't, I, that that's going to be tough. And that you actually loved. Okay. So I thought it was going to be tough and then I was into it. Um, cause I mean, I will say like, you know, they're all probably be, a little tough. <laughs> well, some of them surprisingly are not, but, and you know, another thing, cause I want to be honest all the time is that I don't love every single part of every single animal. I think I have a pretty wide palate. I think I'm pretty open-minded, but I also am not going to lie and say that, you know, raw kidney tastes like chocolate cake. Like there are foods that are more challenging and they're going to be more challenging for different palates. So like, for example, liver has never been tough for me. And I know there are people who think about liver and they gag, like it's about being used to it. It's about experiences that you've had. It's about preparation. But for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I like the taste of liver. It tastes good to me. Like, yeah, you can prepare it in in tastier ways, but like, I enjoy it. Um, I will say like cooking and prepping brain was one that I was intimidated by because it's a brain and I had to buy a brain and bring a brain home and it looks like brain. really intimidating and weird. Yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. But that one was one of the, like the intimidation factor to the results factor was like crazy because it's actually such a mild, delicate and easy to eat cut of meat that chomping on some scrambled eggs with it one day you were yeah yeah scrambled <laughs> because it's actually a very similar texture it's I was like, gonna say, it seems like it might be yeah 100 percent. and you can make it into like a pate again which pates tend to be like a really uh, approachable way for a lot of people to eat it because you're also mixing it with like cream or like 
you know, brandy or something like that. So you put on some crunchy, you know, gluten-free crackers or something and it's really tasty. So brain was one that like, I was quite intimidated by. And like, I have all kinds of outtake uh, videos and pictures of me like bringing home these ingredients and being like, Oh my God, like it's crazy. Like I'm t- holding a brain in my hand, but you know, you, you get over it. And again, it's about being used to it. Like I know people who can't handle a cleaned off the bone chicken breast because yes. it's gross to them and it's whatever. Whereas that's no problem for most people. It's literally just what you are used to getting familiar with things, getting comfortable with things. And yeah, just kind of getting rid of your own arbitrary concepts of what's gross and what isn't because they are arbitrary. So getting over it, just get over it and you'll have some fun experiences. That's kind of how I feel about it. I feel like if you and I were on a Survivor Island show with a bunch of dudes, you and I would have to go kill our own animals so that we could get to the organ meat before those efforts took 100%. We would crush it too. I would feel very strongly about um, us being partnered up on a Survivor-like show, by the way. We would dominate on that one, I have a feeling. They they would see us coming. Um, So, but but let's talk about that because in the end of the day, our ancestors didn't throw away this stuff. Yeah. You know, we discard it, we throw away, we don't look at the stuff in the store. You know what I mean? It's very rare that people are eating like organ meats like this or even, you know, trying. I mean, now, nowadays I get it, you know, with the carnivore movement, people might throw in some liver and you can sneak some liver in and you can do the ground thing and throw it in a burger and hide the taste if it's awful for you. I get that. Um, but let's just talk about the nutrient density of some of these things. Like we know, let's talk about liver for start because everyone knows that. And then let's talk about some of the nutrient factors and why we should consider maybe trying brain at some point or mention another organ that we might not, you know, think of that we should really look at. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, um, there's tons of sort of documentation that like back in the day before we could sort of Google like vitamin B content of different meats, instinctively human beings just went for the more nutrient dense parts of the animal. So when they were hunting, they would immediately take out the heart and the liver and they would eat it. And like, they'd kind of give some like muscle meat scraps to their dogs and stuff because they just knew they didn't need anyone to tell them. They just knew that those were the more nutrient dense parts. And even now, like when um, a lot of like sort of slaughterhouses and abattoirs and stuff like one thing that I learned in this book is that there really isn't as much animal waste as we think. Like it is all going places, um, but the inedible parts, you know, they're being broken down into, I don't know, pet food or fertilizer or things like that. And also a lot of times awful, the organs are being um, sent like exported to places like Mexico or somewhere where they do eat these foods. Right. Because another thing that's important I think to note is that, um, cause I get this all the time when I say things like, you know, um, it, these, these cuts are seen as weird these days and people are like, not, it's not weird to me. It's just weird to some of you, like, you know, spoiled white people in America that have never seen it before because there's tons of cultures and people in America still, of course, in the South and whatever that are eating a ton of organ meat. So it's really a very modern and niche part of the world that, sees this stuff as extreme throughout history and all over the world. It has not been extreme. It's only just the very privileged few of us that can only buy sirloin and again, like boneless wings and stuff that we think this stuff's weird. Right. Um, but yeah, so, um, everyone knows that liver is kind of like the nutrient powerhouse, like pound for pound, the most nutritious thing a human being can eat. And it's basically just across the board. It's like, you name every vitamin and mineral, like the B minerals, like folate, zinc, iron, like everything. It's just, you can eat an ounce or two of this 
every other week and you're getting your, your, what you need. And that's the other great thing is that you don't have to eat 12 ounces of it a day. Cause that would be kind of tough for a lot of people. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of the, um, organs are like maybe higher in like healthy, like brain, for example, is like pretty high in, in fat and in cholesterol, which is what our brain is made of. So it's, it kind of goes back to some of that, like ancestral wisdom of like you eat something and it corresponds to the health of that something in your body. Um, All right, well, so let's give that, a shout out to ancestral supplements as well. Yeah. And I do too. And they have all of those organ parts. So they would say, Hey, if you're having some lung trouble, take beef lung. If you're having, you know, pancreas trouble, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I just want to throw out to them that there is an option too to have that stuff in your life without eating it. And ancestral supplements is a great company. Just want to do a shout out there. Yeah. I love those guys. They're so supportive of me. And also they, I, what I love about them is their honesty in that they'll say, look, our company is about making these like desiccated organ meat pills we still think that eating the real thing is better because it is like the more, the fresher, more bioavailable version is always going to be the best, but you can't always eat liver. And some people just are never going to be able to. So having those supplements, it's a great option. And I completely agree. And I use them all the time. So yeah, I love those guys. What um, was the, what's another organ that was random that you were sort of like, Oh, I'm impressed with this nutrient profile. Well, so I mean, think so like another one that I was kind of excited about actually when I made it was um, gizzards, uh, chicken gizzards. They're like a, a digestive organ um, in fowl that we do not have, um, but they are like little kind of fatty pieces of dark meat that are just delicious and super high in protein. And like one of the recipes that I made is like a confit chicken gizzard. So you like cook them in duck fat. And then you take them out and you kind of slice them up and you put them, whatever, right in your mouth. But they're just like so rich. Um, and again, most really what it is, like I, I should have like a cheat sheet here that I can say like, this is how many vitamins are in each one. But really, and I have that in the book, I have it laid out every organ, what they're kind of good for. Um, but really it's just that if you want, if you're going to eat meat and you want to eat the best quality, you want to eat reasonable amounts, you don't want to eat a ton of meat for whatever reason, um, it's cost effective. It's efficient because you can eat smaller amounts. And across the board, we're talking kidney, heart, um, liver, brain, all of these things. They're just more, all of those vitamins and minerals that you get from muscle meat, you're getting more of them in a concentrated dose in these other organs. I want to talk about the economical aspect in a second. But when I did a like couple week carnivore experiment and I, I led into it, I, I eased in down into before I started, I didn't go from straight paleo. I was, you know, headed there and then I did it. One of the things I noticed that was pretty <laughs> impressive to me was I had gotten um, little squares that were just little like two by two inches of um, grass-fed beef liver frozen. And I had them chop it up in chunks so I could just pull out a chunk, throw it I don't usually eat in the morning, but that morning I knew I had a long hike, long day. I ate like literally one ounce, okay? Like the tiniest piece of grass-fed beef liver. My shit was on fire all day long. I tell you what, I was not hungry for like 15, 20 hours. It was unbelievable. It was so noticeable. And I thought, you know what? That's like, what a great medicinal dose. And also let's talk about the economy of that because you get more for your bang on nutrition with one of these things. And you can, again, eat a little, by the way, grass fed beef liver is so cheap. I mean, even at Whole Foods, you can get so, it's so cheap. So you get so much packed in this little thing that even if you ate that one ounce and you ate, you could only afford other muscle meats or whatever, 
what an incredible economical addition there. So I guess I would ask you, in all the stuff that you buy, was anything really expensive or is all of it just like we are missing out because this stuff is cheap? Yeah. I mean, so you're, you hit the nail on the head with all of that. Like, first of all, the, what you said about your hike and the liver thing, like I, I, I feel, I feel like woo woo saying it, which I shouldn't, cause it's just the mm-hmm. truth, but like, there is no food that makes me feel more nourished, more tangibly nourished than liver. Like, you know, you can eat like a, a nice hearty meal and you feel like, Oh, that really like nourished me. Or you can eat garbage and know that it's doing something bad to your body. But like when I eat liver, I'm like, I just ate something that my body loved and is using like no other food. It's crazy. Yeah. So it, it, even if you never like the taste of it, it's worth it for that. Like you said, it's like a health supplement. It's crazy. I know someone who holds her nose and just slips it down there, like swallows just that's it. Get Love it done. It. Yep. It's worth it. Um, and yeah, so generally speaking, most organ meats are surprisingly cheap pound for pound. It's funny though, because it's like they're on one side where they're just not in high demand, but they're there and you know, they churn them out and it's kind of cheap. And then there's like the other side where they're so rare because people hardly ever ask for them that they're kind of expensive, but there's also like, you know, it's like marketing that goes into that. Right. So it's like things like sweetbreads, so sweetbreads are one of these organs that, for whatever reason, again, totally arbitrary, uh, is considered a delicacy that people can kind of get their heads around. What organs sweetbread, what that is? Sweetbreads are um, like the thymus and pancreas. So they're like thymus glands of, a, of usually like veal or cow or maybe lamb, stuff like that. Um, and they're like a soft kind of almost, again, very like delicate, kind of creamy. They're kind of, it's hard to explain, but they're sort of like, they're kind of creamy looking off white kind of interesting little uh, organs that are often like quite commonly found as like delicious appetizers in fancy restaurants and they'll be fried probably. And they taste like nothing. They have, they, they absorb flavor really well, but they'll be breaded. And so they're kind of like crunchy and then sort of warm and almost like creamy on the inside. They're delicious. Um, And because for whatever reason we can kind of accept it, they're a little bit more expensive. So when I go to the butcher shop and I get my sweetbreads, I'm like, all right, I'm paying 20 bucks for this package of sweetbreads, but it's worth it because they're delicious. And then I can go and buy two pounds of liver for six bucks because people just don't want it. So generally speaking, like another great one that we haven't really talked about much, but one of my favorite organs is heart um, because heart is actually a muscle meat. So it's an organ and a muscle. So it's, it tastes like muscle meat. It has the texture of muscle meat. So it's again, very easy for people to get their head around when they are, you know, trying new things for the first time. Um, it's delicious. It's super, super, um, nutritious and it, it, you can buy a a beef heart that's three pounds for like, I don't know, 15 bucks or something. It'll feed you for days and days and days. Um, and again, I guess this depends wildly on like where you are and how easy you can access these things, but generally speaking, yeah. And like, if you are into somebody, if you're into eating, um, fowl and poultry and you can eat chicken, like chicken hearts and livers are like a couple bucks for meals worth. Um, so cheap because people just pass right over it. They just don't think about them. I think, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just funny. I'm like, maybe I need to switch up the whole thing. Let's <laughs> just go straight up to the organ. No, but it yeah. is really cost effective. And again, even if you can't afford the fancier cuts of actual muscle meats, you can add a little bit, right, for nutrition factor of these things. Well, what is something that, you know, because I'm sure you're like, the people around you, you're probably making them take a bite of stuff and testing them out and all that kind of stuff. What, what was some of the feedback as far as the people around you? And they're like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I liked that. Yeah. You know, what were those kind of items for them? 
Yeah, it's so funny because I'll be honest, like this process, the um, recipe development process has been quite um, like compressed and quick. Like, you know, first of all, I I just got to say this. I got to like do a shout out that like how much I appreciate your help during this process as like a friend and a mentor and somebody who is just supportive. Like, I got to just say this right now that you were besides my my you know, partner and my family, actually before my family, you were the first person I talked to. I still remember this. I called you for keto con. I was like, Hey, Elle, I gotta, I gotta ask you a question. Cause I was hanging out with all these people and everybody had a cookbook and I was like, where's my cookbook? Like, I want to do this. I'm a writer. I can do this. And I called you and we had like an hour conversation about what I wanted to do. And my, and I, I hadn't written it. I had whatever. I just had an idea and I ran it by you and you were like, here's, here's how we move forward. Here's what I think. And you've helped me every step remember of the way. What I said to you, I said, I remember this. Though. I remember it was like, have you told anyone else? Don't. <laughs> yeah. You're like, trust no, no one. Yeah. Trust yeah. Me. Make me yeah. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, yeah. Anyway, you have just been so yeah. incredibly supportive and helpful and I appreciate it. Like from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. Um, Oh, my pleasure. And and honestly, it was a great idea. But regardless, you know, I am so pro-women and pro-women writers and you were on the right path with that. And I knew it was so unique. And that's why I was like, oh my God, don't fucking, don't tell anybody. Don't give it away. (laughs) And just so so for people out there, just so you know, as far as writing goes, ideas are never copyrightable. So if, if Ashley had come out and been like, I'm writing a book about organ meat, a cookbook with organs, everybody and their mother could be jacking up a book in two minutes, have foreign writers get on it, da-da-da-da-da. It was the same thing with my Paleo Thyroid Solution book. There's been a million thyroid books, but no one had connected paleo and thyroid together. And I was not about to let that out of the bag so that someone could jump on it. And again, it's not about like living in fear that people are going to steal your ideas, but it's the reason why one, uh, you know, studio in Hollywood does the movie Ants, and then a month later, someone comes out with like A Bug's Life or whatever, right? Yes. Because someone, someone, you know, there was some intel that got that got crossed. So again, oh um, if you're out there and you've got a really unique idea, please be careful who you share these things with and that they are really trustworthy because, you know, again, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, but I just want to side note, that's such a tangent, but yes. So anyway, back to your, back to your story. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this experience of putting the book together and testing and recipe development has been a little bit unique because it's super compressed. I gave myself a really short timeline. And then also I've been doing the the majority of this work in quarantine in a global (laughs) pandemic. So like I'm, I, I, I haven't had a lot of people. I mean, look, people are testing it. People are, you know, I have my, my partner, I have like friends and I have my photographer who's my friend who's been taking the pictures and, and this is not new. Like I've been trying to get people, loved ones to eat the food that I'm eating for years. So, um, and there are definitely things that people can get their head around easier. So like, for example, one recipe that I was like pretty pumped about is, uh, we, I made a, um, a beef heart jerky. So I turned heart into some, some, uh, seasoned jerky and I bought a dehydrator for the first time. I felt like a real, I don't know, adult buying like kitchen equipment, but I bought a dehydrator and it was honestly, and you know, you know, I'm sure you're the same way. Like I'm a bit of a beef jerky aficionado. Like I'm pretty into it. I eat a lot of jerky and it was better than most that I've had from other companies. Like it was delicious because not because I'm so fantastic or I came up with some special sauce because the heart, the quality of that meat was delicious. It had flavor. It didn't just taste like, you know, you're chewing leather. It was delicious. And that was one that again, 
I'm not a big proponent of like tricking people into eating, but if I just said, Hey dudes, like try some beef jerky. And they had that and they're like, this is delicious. And I'm like, it's heart. And you know, they might think that was weird or not, but so yeah, it just goes back to this like arbitrary thing. Like just open your mind, be willing to try new things and you're going to have some delicious experiences. Um, with that said, like there are some recipes that, uh, are going to be tougher for me to get my immediate family to get on board with. Like, that's why I have this amazing online community. Then, you know, that's the, that's the great thing about social media. There's good and bad to it. But one of the good things is that you will find your people, no matter how weird and niche your thing is. And if my thing (laughs) is eating liver and hearts and tongues, like I found a community online who's into that. And I post, I've been posting a couple recipes and I'll post some from the book as well on my website and people are trying it because they're reaching out to me and they're like, I've got this heart in my freezer. I don't know what to do with it. I've got this liver. Like, what do I do with it? Um, and so I, you know, the feedback has been good so far. Sorry, there's a little bit of noise in the background. Um, so, okay. So one of the things you were doing, I don't, I, and I forget because I haven't, I, I, even though I have a kind of advanced copy of a little bit of part of your book, I don't have the whole one yet because it's available for pre-order at the time of this recording, but likely not on pre-order by the time this comes out. Um, didn't you whip up some marrowbone into some butter? Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's that, good stuff. That's kind of like the jam too. Like there's ways to, so first of all, someone was telling me one time, they were like, Hey, I don't know who told me this move. Maybe it was you or someone else. And they were like, Hey, scrape. Oh, it was Kate, eight, Kate Kretzinger from Kate for one that she's a carnivore. And she was like, Hey, scrape. When you make the bone marrow, scrape it out and put it on top of a steak and just like eat it like that. And I was like, Oh, that sounds good. And it was, but then when I saw you throw it in some butter and these are like the things you can do, you can even make a liver butter. You can make things like this and throw it into stuff to kind of hide it for the kids or whatever, if you need to give people nutrition or to just kind of dress it up for you. I mean, what's not good with butter in it? I mean, Exactly. And like, that's part of this book too, is like, I, again, first of all, I'm not trying to get vegans to eat organ meats. That's not what I'm trying to do. And I'm not even trying to, to make omnivores love liver. What I'm trying to do is just provide options and and start this conversation and make people kind of shift their perspective from weird is scary to weird is fun. Um, And so there are a lot of recipes in the book that are, that involve kind of like mixing organs with other meats that involve hiding things in different ways and creative ways, um, ways where you do not taste or discern the organ at all. Um, and then there are more adventurous ones that are like, this is straight up a piece of kidney, put it in your mouth. Um, so there's all kinds of, there's a whole range of what you're interested in. Um, because we don't have, there's no rule that says how you have to incorporate organ meats in your diet. This is just, if you respect the concept of eating nose to tail. If you respect the health benefits, there's something out there for everybody, a a way for you to enjoy it and incorporate it into your life, really. I know you love all your recipes, but what's one where you're like, ooh, that's a, that's a fave. Like I've, I've had that already five times, you know, like what's, what's one of those that just really resonated with you? So probably you mentioned earlier the stuffed um, beef heart, and I'm really proud of that one because it looks fancy and cool and impressive and it's also delicious. And so like, I'm just going to be straight up. Like it's difficult to photograph an organ meat cookbook. Okay. Some of these meals are beautiful and delicious. And some of them are chopped liver. Try taking a beautiful picture of chopped liver. 
it's not easy, right? Like that's one area I got to give like the vegans, like they're like acai bowls, like are very colorful and beautiful and taking a picture of liver is like kind of a challenge. So to come up with a recipe that looked beautiful um, and looked, and also this is for people who are going to do it themselves for like a family meal or something. It's this beautiful kind of impressive looking thing that was actually quite simple to make and was really, really delicious. Like it was one of those ones where after I made it, I was like, damn, this is, I'm impressed with myself right now. So that one is one that I really, really love and I hope people enjoy. And then another one on the dessert side, cause you know, I got my sweet tooth that I was pretty proud of is a, um, a blood pudding, a chocolate blood pudding. So this is something that is, uh, it's actually, I didn't make this up. Um, the Italians do this really well. Um, they, they make a a chocolate pudding that has just a little bit of blood in it that actually deepens, um, and richens the sort of chocolate flavor. Richen isn't a word. Enriches. There you go. Um, the, the chocolate flavor. Um, and it was so decadent and delicious. And that was a scary one for people. Like I had my taste testers and I was like, look at this delicious chocolate pudding. Like, look at it. And they're like, there's blood in that. I'm like, you're not going to taste it. Just put this in your mouth. And I actually did kind of peer pressure a couple people and they were like, this is, this is delicious. And blood was another intimidating one. Cause I had to go to a butcher shop and ask for blood. And they thought I was crazy. The butchers thought I was crazy. How's they're that? Like, oh, she's probably into the vampire stuff. Right. They're like, she's into something weird. I'm like, I'm just putting it in a pudding. That does not make you seem less weird. But anyway, um, but again, it's like a cultural thing. Like Italians don't blink an eyelash at that. That's what, you know, they, so, but anyway, that one was really, really delicious. It was really fun. And it was like, I get this feeling of accomplishment when I've tried something that was like either intimidating or different or new and it comes out well. I'm just like, this is awesome. And that's the kind of feeling that I want other people who have this book to feel is like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared, but I'm kind of excited and I'm going to try it. And then they make it and they like it and it's delicious and they feel good. They've, they've learned something. Like, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, tell us how many recipes are in the book. I'll be honest. I don't know the exact number, but I think we're probably at around like 85. There, there are some, over 75. Yeah. 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 So there's like a, a chapter that's like sides. So then there's like, you know, side dishes and sauces and dips and stuff like that, that, that just go well with the recipes that don't have any organ meats in them. And there's a dessert recipe um, some of which have some interesting ingredients you'll see. Um, and then there it's the, the recipes are kind of like broken out by part instead of like, here's breakfast, here's lunch. It's like, here's heart, here's guts, whatever. Um, so it's, you know, it's a, I would say it's maybe a relatively small book. Um, but I think that it's a great introduction. Like I said, like we don't want to get too overwhelmed. There's like a couple, there's like a handful of recipes for sort of every part. Um, so yeah. I love it. Um, so we can go to amazon.com. It takes guts. Where yes. else? Let's tell, tell us how, well, first of all, we can hear you every week on Muscle Maven Radio, right? Yes. So everyone needs to go subscribe. Uh, what about your website? Tell us how can we work with you? How, what if we want help from you personally and privately, or we just want to learn more about you? Where do we go? Well, you can, so you can definitely go to my website, ashleyvanhouten.com, just my name. Um, we'll have to put that in the show notes so people can spell it. And you can get to my podcast through there. You can also just reach out to me directly through there. I do offer on and off some sort of high level health consulting. That's kind of taken a bit of a back burner just with everything else that's going on, but there is availability um, for that. 
Um, and then, yeah, Muscle Maven Radio, you can download anywhere that you want to. Um, the book is available on Amazon. It's You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Chapters if you're in Canada. Um, but also the, the easiest, probably best way to, to connect with me is on Instagram because I do spend a lot of time on there. I know it's terrible, but you know, girls got to do it. So no, we both do. I think, I think that's the thing is like you and I are most active on Instagram and I yeah. find that, that a lot of our peeps are too in the versus yes. Facebook and elsewhere. Like I'll, I feel bad cause I'll go onto Facebook and someone wrote me a message a month ago and I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, I have I'm got done. I, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to pick your battles, right? Like everybody just find what you enjoy. Like, I don't even know what a TikTok is and I refuse to learn. So like, whatever it's Instagram. That's, that's where you find me. Um, the name is the muscle maven and I post, I'll post all about the book and I've got free recipes I'm going to be putting out and all kinds of fun stuff there. So that's probably the best place to say hi. Awesome. And, uh, what would you like our audience to know in closing about either your book or about organ meats or, well, I just want to say this real quick before you, before I throw that to you, which is, this is a really like, this is an awesome book to get a couple of copies of for around Christmas. You got some real meat eater friends that are interested and people are getting into culinary stuff right now because of the pandemic people are inside yes. cooking. Their internet. Look, I have a friend who never ever cooks and he's still ordering from the sun basket and has to do a little cooking because they don't know how, but they're, you know, they're, and like now they're like, Oh, I don't think I need that. I think I, you know, so I know people are like getting into the cooking stuff right now and probably will be for a long time while this thing rages on. So this is like such a great gift for people. I think for me, cause it's so unique. And again, like, like you said, it's hard, but the pictures are beautiful and it's just, yeah, so unique of a gift for people. So I think this is like an incredible. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, again, like one of the things like you touched on, people are thinking about, um, making food at home more, being a little bit more self-sustainable and, you know, not to sound too kind of crazy, like doomsday prepper, but also people learning about hunting and stuff like that has gone up too, because I think people are just reminded that, this is, this is a great, the pandemic is a good reminder, if nothing else, that the world is still a wild and crazy place and that our concept of order and safety can go like that. And we should, we're very comfortable here in North America. Most of us are very, very um, privileged and comfortable, but we should be focusing more on how to be self-sufficient and competent and be able to take care of ourselves. And that can mean anything from learning how to make your sourdough, which everyone's doing, to learning how to hunt, to learning how to make use of um, whatever you have access to in terms of nutrition, like all kinds of stuff. Make so, your money go farther right now. I mean, that exactly. is what you can do with organ mates, right? Is exactly. Cost-benefit analysis of it. So, I mean, it's if that's not a reason alone, yeah. And like the immunity part of it, the being healthy, because we, we all know, like we're seeing online that there's the, the arguments are raging on about people who want to stay inside until there's a vaccine versus the people who are pushing more of like an immune-based response. And I think that no matter what part of the spectrum you fall on, we should, of course, be trying to have the strongest immune systems possible and be healthy and resilient human beings. And part of that is nourishing your body. And I believe that a very uh, important part of that is eating nutrient dense animal foods. That's what I believe. And that's what's worked for me. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I think that's really important. And I think just in closing, like what I would love people to know, because we just ha are having this conversation about social media and what's going on in the world and how crazy it is and how scary and frustrating and polarizing life is right now. I mean, sure, it's probably always been, but maybe it just seems worse right now because of what's going on. Um, and it just seems like everyone wants to 
blame other people, argue with other people, convince everybody that they're right. And it can be really overwhelming and stressful. And what I just wanted to do with this book is I don't want to talk down on people who don't eat this way. I don't want to tell people that what they're doing is wrong and what I'm doing is right. I really just want to open up a conversation with people about a different way to do things that could be beneficial and it could be fun and it could be enjoyable. And I think that if people approached more things in their life with a sense of excitement and adventure rather than fear, they would have a happier, more fulfilling life. And I, I'm speaking to myself too. We're all victims of it sometimes, but yeah. just reframing that different isn't always bad or scary. Different can be fun and exciting and an awesome learning experience. And if we can apply that to food, then we can apply it to other areas of our life. And I think that we could maybe all be happier for it. So that's what I want people to know. Really, really well said. Yeah. Hey, pandemic prizes and pandemic pancreas. Let's get on this. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you so much again. It's It Takes Guts, A Meat Eater's Guide to Eating Awful, O-F-F-A-L. Ashley Van Houten, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch you all next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen Collagen Peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes and more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit PrimalHealthCoach.com today to learn more.